You're listening to a sermon podcast from Redemption Hill Church, recorded at one of our worship services. Hi, good morning, church. Um, my name is Pamela, and today we're going to read from Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. So you can follow on the screen behind. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in, def- and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. These are the true words of the living God. Hi, hello, good morning. Can you guys see the slides? See me? Okay, fine. Well, um, gr- greetings and welcome. Uh, my name is Eugene, and I'm uh, one of the lay. Uh, I always get tripped up with this part. Lay elders or pastors here at the English Church Plant, and um, well, the English Church Plant is a plant from Redemption Hill Church, and so we are starting a series in Philippians. Uh, the last day of 2023, but this goes into 2024, and this is going to be running parallel with the series on identity and commitments. So we are taking a break from First Samuel, if you've been with us before now, and we'll dive back into First Samuel in, in April. All right, so that's just to give you some, some background. Uh, I have a question for you this, this morning. How do you raise difficult issues to people who are close to you? Imagine a, a fellow Christian brother or sister spending lots of time working to the extent that they're not coming to church regularly. You want to tread carefully when you raise the issue. You want to assure them that you love and care for them. But you also want to speak clearly, not harshly. You want to preserve the relationship or fellowship, right, as a friend. But you also know that you must speak up because this is about their faith. It's tough. Difficult topics are difficult to raise. And this is somewhat similar to Paul's situation. He he is in prison for proclaiming the gospel and he has received news about this church that he planted in the city of Philippi. This church is an important ministry partner and they are dear to Paul. They are tight, right? But the news that he has gotten has both good and not so good elements like, like most news in life. And the not so good elements are concerning and they need to be addressed. I'll make this harder. Paul cannot see this church 
and communicate face to face with them. He has to do so in a letter. What kind of letter would Paul write to this church? To affirm and encourage them in the good elements, thank them for their partnership, but also call out and address the not so good elements. The answer is that Paul writes very intentionally to the church in Philippi. And he spends the first 11 verses of chapter 1 setting up his greetings and introduction to set the stage for the rest of this letter. But this is not just a letter from Paul to the Philippians, but also God's letter to us, his church. So let's take a look at at these verses. The the structure of these verses is actually quite straightforward. Uh, And I put it up on on the slide, right? Verses 1 to 2 is Paul's greeting. Verses 3 to 4 is how Paul prays for the church. Verses 5 to 8 is why Paul prays for the church. And verses 9 to 11 is what actually Paul prays for the church. And the sermon broadly follows this structure that's on the other side of the slide and has four points, right? We are saved by gospel relationship to God. We are saved for fellowship in community with God. We are also saved for partnership as well as for fruitfulness in Christ. Now, before we dive further into the text, it would be helpful for us to understand just a bit more about the city of Philippi and the church in Philippi. Philippi was the leading city of the district of Macedonia. All right? It was also a Roman colony. Now what does this mean? Because of this colony's status, the citizens of Philippi enjoyed all the privileges and rights of Roman citizens. For instance, they were exempt from taxes. Not surprisingly, Worship of Caesar and the imperial family was the most prominent religion in the city. Yeah, you still had temples to other gods in the city, but you were expected to still worship Caesar. Right? The city wanted to stay in Caesar's good books. So you could still worship your Greek gods, your Egyptian gods, whatever gods you want. Right? And these gods are like add-on, you know, value add. But you still had to worship Caesar. This was the city of Philippi. Diverse, bustling, centered on the worship of Caesar. And Paul had planted a church here in Philippi a couple of years back at the, start of the, at the time of this letter. The full story, for those of you who are interested, is in Acts chapter 16, verses 6 to 40. Uh, and I just want to draw out two points from, from the account in Acts. So you don't have to turn there, I'll just, just tell you what they are. The first, not surprisingly, is that the church in Philippi was in a hostile environment. Right? This was a city where you, should, you could worship anything you want, as long as you still worship Caesar. And so the call of the gospel was, was hugely subversive because it called people to turn from Caesar worship to worshipping Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour. And from the account in Acts, we know that Paul and his co-workers were beaten and thrown into prison for preaching the gospel in Philippi, specifically for advocating customs that were not lawful for Romans to accept or practice. So the church in Philippi face opposition and persecution early in its birth. But we also know one other thing. The gospel was attractive. The account in Acts records the conversion of Lydia, a rich businesswoman, and her household, as well as the conversion of a Philippian jailer who is never named, and his household. And at the end of the account, it says that Paul encouraged the brothers before leaving, leaving Philippi, suggesting that there were more believers who had been added to the church. Men, women, rich, not so rich, people were attracted by the gospel. 
In fact, as you will see later, Philippians chapter 1 verse 1 records Paul's greetings to the overseers and deacons in the church, reflecting that the church had continued to grow even after Paul and his co-workers had left the city. Now let's go to the first point, right, which is the greeting. And this brings me to this point, which is that we are saved by gospel relationship to God. Look with me at the greeting in verses 1 and 2. This greeting by Paul is unique among all his letters in the Bible. It reads, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Now, in most of Paul's letters, Paul would introduce himself as a servant of Christ Jesus and an apostle of Christ Jesus. For those of you who are new to Christianity, apostle would mean someone who has been directly commissioned by Jesus Christ to proclaim the gospel, a chief disciple with authority from God. Right? In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, for example, it says, Apostles and prophets are the foundation of the church with Christ as the cornerstone. So in the context of a greeting, this would have been an important and authoritative title. But Paul leaves it out. He goes out of his way to underscore to the Philippians that he and Timothy are here to serve them as servants of Christ Jesus. He puts aside his title to come and serve them in humility. These notes of service and humility are sounded here right at the start because they point to Christ's example of humility that we will see later in Philippians chapter 2. They lay the foundation for Paul's exhortation to the church to imitate Christ as he and Timothy imitate Christ. Paul desires the Philippians to receive his service to them because he loves them with the love that Christ has for them. So he introduces himself and Timothy. He now addresses the church in Philippi, right? He says, To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. Paul emphasizes all in his greeting. He wants to be crystal clear. He is greeting all the saints in Philippi. No one is left out. No matter who you are, no matter your status in the world, your accomplishments, you are single, married, local, international man, woman, you are greeted by Paul as a saint in Christ Jesus. And then, he includes specifically the overseers and deacons. He wants the church to know that the overseers and deacons have a responsibility to lead the church before God. And so he calls them out in his letter at the opening. This is incidentally the only epistle where overseers or elders and deacons are mentioned right at the beginning. But also notice one more word, with, with the overseers and deacons. The elders and deacons are with the church as they lead the church. They are not over the church. This is a greeting packed full of meaning. Right? You have notes of service, humility, welcome to all, leading with and not lording it over. Like a composer, Paul is sounding these notes at the beginning of the letter so that he can develop these themes later in the letter and pastor the church through this letter. Finally, Paul greets them. He says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is Paul's customary greeting. Grace here refers to the gospel, right, or good news of what God has done for us, in the, for us and the Philippians. The gospel is a grace from God. Grace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not something we earn, but something that Christ has accomplished for us and is given to us to receive. The gospel transforms relationship with God. He becomes God our Father. The gospel transforms our loyalties. 
Jesus Christ is now Lord Jesus Christ. Caesar is no longer their Lord. Jesus Christ is now their Lord, their God. And finally, the gospel brings peace. Peace with God. Once we were sinners, rebels, at enmity with God, but because of this gospel that we have received, we are at peace with God. It reminds the Philippians that amidst the persecution and suffering, they are loved by God. They have peace from God because the gospel has brought them into right relationship with God. I want to ask you today if you have this peace from God, if you have this love from God. The world talks a lot about being at peace with who you are, right? being your authentic self, being loved and accepted for who you are. We say things like, if you love me, you will accept me as I am. You wouldn't ask me to change before you love me, right? Because we all yearn to be loved and accepted for who we are. But here's the rub. None of us would say we are perfect. We all know that in the deep recesses of our heart, there is fear, anxiety, selfishness, impatience, insecurity, anger, unkindness, a myriad of negative emotions and thoughts. We have all done things that are not good, not right. It's not just that we are not perfect. Deep down inside, we sense that we are not right quite. We sense we need to offset the bad things we have done and change to be better people. People who are, in a sense, worthy of being loved. But we also worry that we cannot change, or we cannot change quite enough. We worry that we cannot make up for all the bad and wrong things that we have done. So what do we do? We say, you got to love me as I am. Because I'm very afraid I can't change enough to be worthy of being loved. So I say, I demand you love me as I am. But deep down, I cannot even fully accept who I am. The Bible identifies this sense of dislocation as a consequence of sin. Sin is not just that we do the wrong things or don't do the right things. At its core, the Bible defines sin as a refusal to turn to God and live under God's kingship. A refusal to find our identity and worth in the God who created us. And because we have rebelled against our creator, we live in the rebel camp. Make sense? So that even the good things we do, we do as rebels in the rebel camp. And this is where the gospel comes in. Because God does not ask us to get our act right before he will love us. We have just celebrated Christmas. Christmas, if you didn't know, is a true story, right? Of how 2,000 over years ago, God came to us to free us from the rebel camp. Jesus Christ came, he lived the perfect life as he sang, and went to the cross on our behalf to bear the weight and shame of all our sin, and in exchange to give us the perfect life of his righteousness. He came as our servant, he died on the cross, rose again three days later, and he achieved in his death and resurrection a definitive victory over the rebel camp, so that we could become sons and daughters of God. We could become uh, we could be at peace with God. So to those of us who say we must change before God can love us, the gospel actually says a resounding no. The gospel demonstrates that God loves us as we are, even while we did not know him, even while we were in active rebellion against him. But, as we will see in the rest of the verses, God does not just save us from our past and leave us as we are to go our own way. Indeed, leaving us as we are would actually not be loving to us. But neither does God ask us to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and change using our own strength. No. 
The rest of the verses show that God comes alongside us, gives us His strength, encourages us, heals us, and transforms us day by day, patiently, lovingly, faithfully. So let's see this come out in the next few verses. So let's look at verses 3 to 4 and 7 to 8. In verses 3 to 4, Paul tells the Philippians how he prays for them. He prays with thanksgiving to God for them. Right? He prays for them with joy. He says, making my prayer with joy. I just want to say something here. Notice the number of times you and all appear together on the screen. You all, you all, you all, you all. Paul is very, very clear. He wants every saint in, Philipp- in Philippi to know that they are included in this message. He doesn't want anyone to feel left out. Right? Reading these verses, you just get a sense of the deep fellowship that Paul and the Philippians enjoyed. He prayed for them. And if you look in your Bibles at verse 18, the Philippians prayed for him too. He cared for them. Later on in Philippians chapter 4, he will write to urge reconciliation between two sisters. And uh, I'm not very good at Greek names. Their names are Euodia and Syntyche, I suppose. But you will see that he cares for them. But they care for him too. If you look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 25, they actually send this other chap called Epaphroditus, I got it, to minister to Paul, to serve Paul as it were. Right? So you see this exchange that goes on between them. In verses 7 and 8, Paul says, It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. They are important to Paul. They matter to Paul. These Philippian believers are not just the outcome of Paul's ministry. They're not just numbers for church attendance. Paul says, I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Genuine love and care here. And Paul is saying this comes from Jesus Christ. Verse 7 also tells us that Paul was in prison at the time of this writing. He was alone in prison, but he was not lonely. The holiday season uh, can be a difficult time for, for many of us. Uh, I remember studying abroad, and when it's the holiday season, you know, everybody goes to their families for Thanksgiving, and then you know, international students, you just stay alone in the dorm and eat instant noodles. But the point is, the holiday season can be a difficult time for many people. Maybe you are here this morning because you feel lonely and couldn't find someplace better to go. I, I hope not. Perhaps you think that nobody understands what you're going through. Perhaps you read this and think, yeah, that's, that's not my experience of church. I don't feel this sense of warm fellowship that Eugene just described between Paul and the Philippians. Let me first say that I'm very sorry if church has not been a place of warm fellowship for you. Churches can sometimes feel like the loneliest places in the world. You enter a large hall, there are people everywhere greeting each other, talking to each other in small groups, there are smiles and laughs. But nobody sees you. Nobody notices you. Nobody greets you. Somehow you don't feel you belong. It is as if there are all these groups, but I'm not in any of them. Church is not meant to be this way. Jesus understands. He does. He hung on that cross alone, misunderstood, forsaken. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross, so that we could be saved from our sin and our shame. He opened a way for us to fellowship in love and truth with one another by His death and resurrection, so that we can all be in on the gospel. So I want to speak to us as a church this morning, right? the ECP. We are one plus year as a church plan. We have grown in size. When we started last year, we were barely less than 100. Now we are over 200. 
we are more diverse now than when we started. Locals, international, single, dating, choose to be single, married, married with young kids, married with teens, married with no kids, married with kids that have flown the nest, single young people, single old people. The list goes on. It is easy for us right, to form cliques so that we feel at home. But this can shut people out too. Instead, Christ calls us to hold one another in our hearts as partakers of grace, of this gospel, to love each other with the affection of Christ. So as we head into 2024, can I encourage you, can I ask you to keep an eye out for those who are new to you. Not just new to the church, that's too difficult. With 200 people, you don't know who's new to the church. Those who are new to you. Reach out, say hi, introduce yourself, share how you came to Christ, came to this church, have a coffee, Fold one another into community. Pray for them. Thank God for them. Walk with them. Serve one another as servants of Christ Jesus. Just like Paul, just like Timothy. I want to also speak to those of us who might feel alone in our sin and shame. I feel that we cannot be part of this church because of sin and shame. Jesus died so that we can all be in on this gospel relationship. So don't hide from God because of sin and shame. Jesus has paid the price. Run to him, trust in him, turn away from sin and shame. So the gospel relationship saves us for fellowship, fellowship with God and with one another. But this is not a fellowship for its own sake, it is also a partnership. We are saved for partnership with God and that's in the next two verses, verses 5 and 6. So look at verse 5. Paul makes his prayer with joy and thanksgiving because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. The more material-minded among us will think, ah, they must have supported Paul financially in his trips to proclaim the gospel. You'll be right. But this partnership is more than that. Oh, I think I've lost my place. Okay, here we are. See, the, the Philippian church prayed for Paul. Right. You can see that in chapter 1, verse 19. And Paul says in that verse, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. The church prayed, and the prayers of the church brought the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. God is pleased to intervene when we pray. So beyond just partnership by financial giving, the church was a partner in praying for Paul. And that prayer was important to Paul. The Philippian church was also concerned for Paul and wanted to know what he was doing and how the work was going. That's why later on in chapter 2 verse 25, you read that they sent Epaphroditus to minister to Paul and to report back. Right? In fact, if you read a bit more in chapter 2, you will find that Epaphroditus was keen to go back and report to the church. He had found Paul, he had heard from Paul, he now had the update, he wanted to go back because he had also heard that the church had heard that he was ill. And he wanted to go back personally to reassure them and to bring them news about Paul. You see, this, this partnership is not just giving. It's a relational partnership. There's material support, spiritual support, relational support. So, what then do we do with this? Well, we should be part of the substantial, substantive partnership that Paul speaks of. Right? Pray for the work of gospel proclamation by the church, by missionaries among us. Build mutually encouraging and edifying relationships with the missionaries among us as well. But look with me now at the second half of verse 5 as well as verse 6. We come to the, the core verse of this passage. 
See, Paul earlier gave thanks because of their partnership in the gospel. But in the second half, it says, from the first day until now. Paul is not just giving thanks for their partnership, but for their faithful partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Why? Verse 6, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. You see, the partnership of the Philippians was a sign that God was working in their lives. And therefore, that God will complete this good work and bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Paul is encouraging the church to remain faithful in their partnership until the day of Jesus Christ, when Christ returns to judge the world. Friends, the gospel is good news for sinners. It is the only way for sinners to be saved from their sins. Because either Jesus bears our sins, or we bear them. Either we live with Jesus forever, or we are cast out to live in everlasting shame and contempt. So we don't want to wait until Christ returns to trust in the gospel. It will be too late by then. That is why RAC sets aside a portion of all giving it receives to support evangelism work here and abroad. Because our heart is for all to believe in the gospel. So we have seen Paul's greeting, verses 1 to 2. How he prays for the Philippians, verses 3 to 4. How he feels towards the Philippians, 5 to 8. And why he prays for them, right? That God will bring to completion everything that he has said. And now we finally come to the prayer. The prayer that Paul is praying for the Philippians. And this is also my last point. That we are safe for fruitfulness in Christ. So look with me at verses 9 to 11. So Paul prays for the Philippians and it's a long prayer. Well, actually, it's not a very long prayer. It's just two, it's probably like what, one sentence. But um, here are the words of the prayer. Right? It's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent, be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Remember at the start of the sermon I said, God saves us as we are, but he does not leave us as we are. Right? We see this here in Paul's prayer. This prayer is nothing less than a prayer for the complete sanctification and transformation of the lives of the Philippines, of our lives. Remember verse 6, He who began a good work in you, all of you, saints in Christ Jesus, whether in Philippi, in Singapore, the ECP, God who began this good work in you will surely bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Paul is simply praying for what God has already said he will do. Paul prays that our lives will be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, so that God will get all the glory, glory and praise. Our lives are to reflect the character of Jesus, for example, trusting in God in the face of persecution, suffering, temptation, opposition, walking in fellowship as Jesus did with God and with our fellow members, serving one another in humility. That's verse 11. More than that, Paul prays that we will be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Pure, no more sin. Blameless, no more shame. Don't let sin and shame stop you from coming to God. Christ has borne our sin and shame. Paul prays that we'll be pure and blameless for that day. In other words, he prays that we will be faithful in following Jesus. Right? It's not a prayer that we will live perfect, sinless lives. And, or that we must live uh, perfect, sinless lives so that you know, we'll be 
right with Jesus. No, we are already right with Jesus and we live lives of faith and repentance looking to the righteousness of Christ. And God changes us. Paul prays that we will grow and mature into such believers. Look at verse 9. How does this happen? Well, he says, our love must abound more and more. Just a word about English here. Abound means increase. More and more also means increase. So Paul is doing what we call a super emphasizing here. Right? He's saying our love for Jesus must increase, increase. Okay? And the way for love to increase, increase is with knowledge and all discernment. So Paul is not calling the church to emotionalism, that you've got to feel more love for Jesus. But he's calling the church to know Jesus intimately and deeply. Because the fruit of such knowledge is a greater love for Christ. Again, Paul is setting the stage here for what he will say later in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. This is not mere Bible knowledge, although we must know the Bible for sure. This knowledge is knowing God as a person. And how do we know a person? A long time ago, someone told me, how do you spell love? Love is spelled P-I-M-E, by spending time with God, praying, talking, reading His words. Next, discernment. Discernment is wisdom, practical knowledge. Paul prays that our love may abound with all discernment because love for God as it abounds must also come forth in our lives, right? as brotherly love for one another. Paul expects that we will go to one another for counsel, encouragement and support as we fight sin and endure suffering. All of this requires love for God and one another, knowledge of God and discernment. It is how we grow together in sanctification. Christians are meant to live in community with the church. And Paul motivates the church in Philippi to yearn for this by underscoring that this whole prayer, love, abound, knowledge, discernment, pure, blameless, fruit of righteousness, is what God has already said that he will do for us. He points all of us to the risen Christ and says we can be confident that as we walk with God, that God will do this in us because Christ is risen, because the victory is already His. We, we began this sermon, next slide, by asking how we would bring up awkward issues with someone close to us. Sharing the gospel with a friend, speaking to a fellow Christian about sin, whether in my life or theirs, these are all topics we would rather avoid if we could. It's awkward. But Paul shows us in these 11 verses that this would be unloving. Instead, the loving response is to invite folks to be in gospel relationship with God so that we grow in fellowship, partnership and fruitfulness in community and in Christ. Jesus Christ cannot be one more thing we add to our lives. He must be Lord. As we bid farewell to 2023 and look ahead to 2024, what areas of your life is your Lord calling you to grow in? The world is fond of making New Year resolutions. But I would like to commend to you today a, a better way. To begin with a renewed resolve to pray and bring even these areas of life to God and ask, that he may make your love for him abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, the glory and praise of God. Let us go to God in prayer. 
Dear Father, we, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you that because of the gospel, we can be in gospel relationship with you. And we thank you for your promise to us that you who began a good work in us will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. We do not know all the areas of our life that need transformation. God, you are gracious and you give us this knowledge as we can bear it. And God, we are so thankful that all of our lives are held in your hand. You have brought us through 2023. And as we look ahead to 2024, we have dreams, we have plans, we have hopes, we have fears. But Father, we pray that as we hand all of our lives, and not just 2024, into your hands, that we'll be found in gospel relationship with you. Father God, would you be so kind, so pleased as to weave us as a community together so that we have fellowship, we have partnership in the work of the gospel. Father, would you be so kind as to do what you have said and bless us with the fruitfulness of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ so that they, the world, will look at our lives and glorify and praise you. Not look at us and say how good these people are, but look at you and say how good you are. So Father, it's my prayer that um, our love may abound more and more in 2024 with knowledge and all discernment so that we may approve what is excellent and be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through our Lord Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God our Father. We thank you in Jesus' name we pray. You've been listening to a sermon podcast from Redemption Hill Church. You can find more of our sermons online at www.rhc.org.sg.